Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Growing with My Fellow Growers, a podcast on the Cheap Home Grow podcast network. We are streaming live to YouTube. This is at Jack Greenstock filling in as your host for this week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening in. I'm going to go ahead and start introducing my panel members, starting with Dr. MJ. How are you doing tonight? Hey guys, I'm doing pretty good. Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am sorry that I wasn't with you guys last week, but hopefully you had fun. Um, I did finally get my big grow light physics video published this week, so hopefully everybody gets a chance to check that out on my YouTube channel. And I look forward to the show. Look forward to being back. Thank you again for joining us. I just admitted Matthew Gates, but I'm going to go ahead and pass it next to Brandon Rust. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm Brandon Rust. If you're not familiar with already, um, you can find me on Instagram at Rust Brandon and Bokashi Earthworks, which is the company I own. Um, it's always, uh, you know, great to conversate with all the panel members. So I'm glad to be here. We always appreciate your feedback and thank you again for joining us. I think we've got Matthew in the uh, chat now with us. I'm sorry, I probably didn't add you and you've been waiting to be added to the Zoom call. Uh, so next up we have Matthew Gates. Yeah, no problem, Jack. Um, I'm Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist and I'm always interested in hearing what pests you're dealing with and how I can help you with that, both commercially and personally. You can find my uh, information on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, which is the same channel I'm communicating with on the chat. And uh, yeah, I'm coming off of a couple of podcasts like the Future Cannabis Project that just happened um, uh, yesterday. That was pretty good. I saw you and that, Jack. I really appreciate you holding it down. I was happy to be added in a somewhat non-cannabis related uh, conversation on that uh... It got a little derailed there, but I think you were doing a great job talking about banker plants over there. I love the Future Cannabis Project and what Peter is doing. He's an awesome guy. They have a great YouTube channel for anybody who hasn't already checked it out. They're probably much, much larger than we are, so you may have probably already heard of it. But if you haven't, uh, they're doing great stuff. I was happy to join. I am also coming off a podcast earlier today that was pre-recorded. That's not out yet, so I won't really mention any more about it. But I'll pass it next to Aaron the Grower. Yes, Future Cannabis Project. They're killing it right now, and I love being a part of their stuff. And I've I've been on a few of their episodes, and I Peter's been pulling me in on a couple of them that's impromptu, and it's been awesome, man. Yeah, they're they're great guys over there. Um, I am Aaron the Grower, ATG Acres on Instagram. Uh, yeah, excited to uh, get into it tonight with you fellas. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and pass it right on next to Kyle. Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, yeah, so I, I'm a cannabis breeder. I specialize in feminized seeds. If anybody's looking for some, uh, go to the website, pbreeding.com. And uh, if anybody's looking at any of the stuff that I'm working on, which I should have a bunch of flower shots soon. All, all my plants are in like week two flowers. So that's pretty exciting. But um, check me out at Predicated Breeding at Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And uh, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm excited to see what some of the topics are tonight. And Jack, thanks for hosting, man. It's always a pleasure to host. I feel uh, thankful to be around such an awesome panel of great people, very knowledgeable individuals, and uh, another one being the American one. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, Jack. Uh, glad to be here. Um, the American one on YouTube and the American one with Akeens on IG. Um, 
And yeah, it's always good to talk about cannabis and all related subjects. So I'm psyched to be here and shout out to chat. And uh, yeah. Oh, shout out to Shane as well, the originator of the uh, Cheap Homegrown Grow Network. Cheap Home Grow podcast, or Cheap Home Grow just in general. Yeah, the, the YouTube channel that we're all streaming live on right now. He also uh, makes sure that he puts the podcast out to all the podcast platforms after the show is over. So thank you very much, Shane, for doing that and for giving us the place to come together and talk weekly. I know I really appreciate it. Kyle, um, you had some questions before the show. I don't know if you wanted to get into those and start talking, or maybe Brandon, you could talk a little bit about what you're uh, got going on. Uh, sure. uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Brandon. Well, what do you guys want to know about? Um, I kind of got a lot going on. It's crazy. Uh, so I'm doing all the continued work that I've been doing on the large organic indoor facility where we're utilizing full spectrum LED, living soil. And um, I started utilizing um, the data sets that I build off of soil testing to uh, dial in my nutritional inputs. Um, so that way I can just do a water only uh, diet. And then what I'll also do is uh, inoculate once a week with uh, the probiotic, the micro plus that actually from my company. So I, uh, I do the same thing. We brew spores over at the facility. And so I always have liquid concentrate on hand. So uh, it's, I'm pretty impressed right now with everything. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I really couldn't be happier with, uh, with what everything is looking like moving forward. Um, it, it's pretty on point. You know, I have some varieties that I hunted that stack really, really nice and they're real beautiful. They have a lot of color. And they smell nice. So I'm going to keep running those. And, you know, I'm also working on putting together this, uh, this farm putting up some uh automated light deprivation mixed light greenhouses which will be in the next couple months that's a, a exciting exciting thing to do i'm in the process of doing a similar thing here in uh southern california um i just wanted to give you an opportunity i don't think you said it in the introduction and it's a little bit unfortunate and it might not be permanent, but I know your main page, the rust.brandon page has been dropped on IG. So I wanted to give you a chance to plug your new page and your business page, just so people know uh, where to find you in those spots to maybe rebuild up some of that following of the people here. Uh, yeah, it's um, Rust Brandon, R-U-S-T-B-R-A-N-D-O-N in Okashi Earthworks. I think it's also in my bio for... Um, that profile so you can find that that there it's unfortunate but i've seen like humbled seeds who i was a tester for for a while um they lost their page like three or four different times and they've appealed it and got it in it back um so it's possible still but uh Whoa. we'll just let people know about the backup page in the meantime the problem is this so i appealed it but every in the appeal process you put your name in there you put your phone number you can leave a little comment but you also have to put in your IG address. So Instagram.com backslash Rust.Brandon would be mine, right? And whenever I put that in there and I push send, it's, it says user not found that it, 
that user can't be found. And then when the help screen comes up, it says that you have to click on the person's account. So my account was like, there was no contesting. It was just straight deleted. It was like, it dropped. And then what I think within maybe a couple of minutes, it might've been there for a couple of minutes because I think Matt looked and said, oh yeah, here's what I see. And it said Instagrammer on it. And it had some of the posts. Your bio, your bio was on there. I saw that too. There's like it was a really, it was really skeleton of the page. Yeah, it was just like a skeleton, and then it just completely disappeared. Like it was deleted immediately. It was surprising to me that like it was like there were parts there. It's like you had posts, but not all of your posts, and it wasn't you that was being depicted. And it was pretty surprising, honestly, how like piecemeal it all was. It's like it was like dissolving or something. I I don't know how it works. When you're when they overwrite something, I'm pretty sure that it that's how it that's how it acts as it deletes literally like when you take a like an encrypted or when you're encrypting a file or deleting a file or i might be misquoting the technical terms here but basically it's like putting pieces of tape over it and so you put so many pieces to where you can't see does anybody know anything else like a bunch that? of redactions almost i'm not a software developer or anything but a lot of my best friend, a lot of my great friends are um i think you're right i think that's what's happening is there's like it's like a bunch of things are being kind of sealed away kind of at once, but like different things are happening at different times. That makes that exactly. that's probably why you can recover the account too. Cause it's like, you can unwrap it again and go, Oh, sorry, here's your account. It's like the opposite of the upload with uh, like a YouTube video, for example, the video first and then the chat uh, gets loaded a little bit later and you can watch that like hours after the show. So in the way I'm thinking about it, the same process that's happening forward is this happening in reverse. So like the chat would be the probably first or last thing to be removed from his page in this example, and then the video, et cetera. So it would just kind of go in that same step-by-step -step process in the reverse order. You know, if the, N if the NSA was nice and a capitalist kind of uh, company, I could get my photos back from like 2010 that got erased from my computers. Everything they have, everything. I wish they would do that. I wonder if you can get it from the Wayback Machine. <laughs> Maybe Sherman. That's a real thing, though. There's like a, no, if you had a stored on the internet. If you had something stored on the internet, or like you can like turn back like uh, the internet to a certain time and date and see what a web page looked like at that time and date, type thing. So there's a yeah, cool way to recover. They record web pages, but not like your personal photos and stuff that you can retrieve. But it's um, a real great tool when um, when Philo's changed all their stuff, you could go back and see what their like mission statement was when they started and how it progressed and changed over the um, time frames. you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. It's probably a little bit too granular information to hope for. Yeah, what what uh, photos did you missing on there, Tao? Some good butt shots from back in the day. Want the NSA to send over to you? Yeah, I had I had a lot of photos, and I went and got a new phone. And they're like, "Well, we could put all your data onto the new phone." I'm like, "All right, do it." So as I'm standing there, they deleted everything, and it was just gone. It was just that was it. I was just like, "And there's nothing like we'll, we'll give you a free a free uh, mobile charger." I'm like, "Yeah, thanks a lot." But that, I learned a valuable lesson. Now I like back up stuff. I have it like five different places. But some stuff is still hard to back up. It's a big, large thing. Like I had a book 
on my uh, iBooks and I couldn't, I can't mail it. It's too big. I can't do a lot of stuff with it, but yeah, it's good to back up everything. Yeah, ain't that the truth? I actually was just dealing with that on my computer. Um, I finally finished, in fact, just a, a few moments ago, uh, it finished exporting or uh, finishing uh, my FAQ IPM video for July. And I was supposed to have it earlier, but I was having a lot of trouble. See, my primary solid state drive is only like 100, a little bit over 100 gigabytes because I took it from a laptop that I was using for a long time. And I have like another solid state that's like one terabyte. So I've, I, I had, I've had to move so many things onto there, but still there are some just like for a long time files. And I guess I had like a, I guess Rocket League was down, was loaded on both my uh, v drive and my c drive anyways point being is that i just had to get rid of a bunch of stuff and i didn't know how to do that because uh, it was like locked away and certain things didn't look like they were easy to move or something like that so now I, I mean backing up stuff is such a big deal for me and videos are so uh memory expensive that um i usually have to buy a, a drive every couple of years Yeah, video definitely takes up probably more space than anything else that I can think of on a computer. It's uh, definitely space heavy. One thing that some people do is like for cannabis content creators, if they're worried about their Instagram being deleted, there's cannabis friendly pages like Cannabuzz or YouTube deletes and has deleted a lot of cannabis um, content creators. So they'll either back it up to like WeedTube or some other like Vimeo, some other service that's more cannabis friendly. So if they did get their page deleted, they could at least send their followers if from their other pages and say, hey, look, here's where our backup, um, you know, all the shows are already pre-recorded and backed up on these other websites. But it's a major inconvenience. I this must is kind of why I started when I started all of this. I just wanted to build it all on my own platform instead of having to be at the whim of people that could come in and sort of pull the rug out from underneath you like that. Um, it just occurs to me that we're not really on, on like uh, cannabis growing topics. I just thought maybe, hmm, I don't know. I'm enjoying the conversation though. Okay. Well, I was gonna bring it back a little and say, I take pictures like the data collection from my, a lot of my plants and stuff, I take pictures. So that takes up a lot of memory and, but they're way better I think than just writing down notes when you have a picture of the plant you know, you could see, you could go back and see differences or see other um, things that you missed. Yeah, for sure. No, that, I mean, and I need to be better at sort of actually following through with that, but that's what I, I think a grow journal is really perfect for, right? Um, to be able to make a little commentary, post some pictures and keep like a weekly log or whatever, um, organized like that. When I just have photos on my phone, man, or photos in a folder someplace. I, I mean, I can take far more fold, uh, photos than I can organize. Um, so if I look back at them like six months later, I don't even know what plant that was. I don't know what I'm looking at. It's like, yeah, it looks cool, I think. Why did I take six pictures of the same thing? Um, so Accuracy by volume right there. It's like you take six pictures because five I might know, suck, like, but what one is What killer. is it? What is it? Oh, no, but I then I have to figure it out. Then it just creates a mystery, right? It's like, what was I... What was I thinking of when I was taking these pictures? Um, so I think so that, that that grow journal of trying to, you know, have to organize it on a fairly regular basis and just sort of hit the highlights is a good idea for that if you're interested. I agree. Yeah. You know, little, little, little bit goes a long way. I, I've tried to overcomplicate my notes, like my, my phone notes where I add 
um, pictures into the notes. Like I'll put a note and then I'll throw a picture into the note. And then, so this, I have this gigantic document in my notes and what I end up doing is not being able to find anything. So, you know, you, you got to get familiar with your own note taking. And so you got to be comfortable writing shorthand and understanding what you were thinking. Let's and, yeah. see. Yeah. Even that, like I've been trained how to do field notes um, for writing, you know, notes like that. And when we write field notes in the field, a lot of people think that, that you're there sort of writing everything in shorthand, but you're really not. You're writing what we call jottings. And then you got to go home and you got to write up your jottings at the end of the day, because those little notes that you take, it really, they'll only be good for you for like a day. If you don't look at them for six months, you go back to see your jottings and I wouldn't be able to make sense out of them. So like when I do well, field work, me, I, I take jottings all the time when I'm out during the day and I'm writing stuff down in that notebook. Then I got to go home, sit down for like three hours, type all well, that Well, I mean, that's one way out. to do it, but some consistency would do you some well because, you know, oh, take yeah, instance, there is. Phar pharmacy, you know, pharmacy work. I, I used to be a pharmacy tech for a few years. And so there's this like whole language you have to learn. And it's like, Yep. Um, so for instance, if the doctor wants you to take one tablet by mouth every day, it's like one T-P-O-Q-D. And everybody in that industry knows <clears throat> what that means. And in 10 years, you can look back at that and go, yep. oh, that was one tablet by mouth every day. And, you know, if you're consistent like that and you're note taking, you can have an easier time in the long run. That's, that's you know, I mean, I'm sure you do. Oh, yeah, it, no, there's some parts of it job. that you can really standardize like that. I mean, and you can even get into sort of other tricks with shorthand for writing your prose, but th there's always... The, the pros and I gotta say if I go back and look at my old logs it's never to see the inflow and the outflow EC numbers or any of that it's to read my sort of descriptive passages about what I was thinking at that point in the grow um, but I agree I, I, I used to keep track of literally everything um, and I've sort of scaled that back dramatically to what I think is is important, not only in the time being, but important to be able to look back on. In the future. I know an old timer that still uses a little cassette recorder. He clicks it, you know, records, and then clicks it off, make sure it's recorded and saves it like that. Audio is really useful for that kind of thing for a lot of different disciplines. Maybe not for everyone's style, but some things are more, I feel like they lend themselves more to that than others. Oh Definitely. man. Yeah. I won't even, I, I, I cringed at the mere thought of audio recording after having spent uh, hundreds of hours um, transcribing uh, interviews and, and interviews that aren't always sort of totally well recorded. So um, I, I get that in the time being, but I, I really think a lot of people that do that are doing that because it forces them to concentrate in the moment more than because it creates a record that they go back and actually engage with that record in the future. Um, one of the other aspects of sort of taking notes like that is it forces you to concentrate. We always think that we're writing stuff down so that we remember it later, but it also sort of sharpens the focus and makes sure that you've gone through all of that. And either recording or writing in a journal like that helps with that sort of level of diligence as well. I definitely agree there. Like, uh, and it's hard, it's definitely harder to engage with an audio file than it is with a written word for a lot of different reasons. So there's a, there's big advantages to that. I would agree. Oh yeah. Engaging with the audio file is just a, a super time consuming process. And yeah, writing it down is like repetitive, you know, just repetitive when you're writing it, it's like a 
it's, it's repetitive. It gets you into your memory a little more already. Would you say that it's repetitive? Well, well there's also just the fact <laughs> of like, oh, I need to write down my runoff EC. Oh, crap, I haven't even tested it yet. You know, I mean, it just jogs you to do the things that you need to do sometimes, the fact that you're writing it down. I just wanted to throw out there that one of the things I like to do is I take pictures throughout the grow, maybe once a week or maybe sometimes every day, depending on what part of the cycle it's in. But that just goes into my regular camera roll on my phone. And at the end of the grow, when I harvest, I'll go back through and in my phone, and I'm sure many other people's, you can make folders on your native photos app by just holding down on a photo, uh, selecting it, and then you can select a bunch at a time. And you just scroll through any photo that's a plant, click on all of them, make that. You can even do like veg and then flower for X and Y strain or whatever. So like that's your run. So you can always go back through your folders and say, okay, this is at least just that one strain or this small set of strains. So you, you know that. And as uh, somebody who's aspiring to be a breeder, sometimes I'll grow something out that's brand new. I've never tried it before. And I end up liking it. And I'm like, okay, I didn't say cuts, but I'm going to pop seeds of it and grow it again. Like I want to look back at when maybe did it start to turn purple? When did it um, show signs of, of different things? Like how much did it stretch? How much was it stretching compared to other plants in that room and other little things like that? And uh, like leaf structure and, and all these other little things that you can see in a photo um, that you don't have to necessarily write down, but it's time stamped. It tells you what day, what time of the day and all that stuff automatically. So you just swipe up and you're like, okay, this is what date that was taken on. You can go back to when you flipped. And as long as you have a note of when you flipped and when you pop the seed, you've got a pretty good reference um, as far as simple notes and, and being able to look back at it. But I think handwritten notes are also very beneficial, but like just learning about how people learn, like I'm an auditory learner. So I think there's something too, like everybody learns a little bit differently. And somebody was talking about like the benefit of handwritten. One of the benefits of audio is maybe you can record yourself while you're at the grow, if you work at a grow facility and then listen to yourself on the way home or listen to yourself in the car at some other time where you would be driving. You otherwise wouldn't be able to look at a written note. And very so there's point. benefits of uh, many different forms of recording and notes and things like that. Uh, yeah, I've been accused of liking the sound of my own voice, but I don't think that I could listen to recordings of myself as I drove <laughs> home. I'd go crazy. I think that there's probably an app for like, uh, you know, journaling, whether it be pictures that are just like, oh, here's a tech, take a picture. You can edit it if you need to add text and then it stores it or something like that. There's got to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this is also sort of the, the riddle that we've been trying to crack with creating the, the forum to, to have people do grow journals is what is sort of a simple way to enter kind of the information that you want and be able to save it quickly and have a resource that you can go back to. Um, so yeah, there are some, some platforms that exist for this. In that end, um, commercially, like I, it's so important for people to be able to record data and display data effectively in a way that you don't have to do a lot of interpretation or as little as possible, especially if you're graphically representing it. But like, uh, although there are like professional applications out there and systems and software, um, I'm very excited about sort of the democratization of that, uh, those sorts of platforms to like, you know, people are growing by themselves um, individually because it's such an important feature. And if people get, you know, it's like having a grow journal, right? But if people get that data and they know what they're dealing with year to year, season to season, it can be really help helpful for them to know their own local sort of pest pressures or 
even like what problems arise, like not just pests, but like mechanical faults, or you can even record, um, you know, how long certain items, like your lights, for example, how long did that light last? Um, how long did that fan last? How long did, you know, all these other uh, pieces of equipment last? That's also, that's also kind of helpful to track for logistical reasons. I keep that data because it, yeah, I have an order history sometimes through online or receipts from a grocery shop or whatever. And I think that that's really beneficial. I like, uh, I mean, we're using a software right now, Zoom, which is helping us all grow a little bit better because we're able to have video conferencing for free and uh, engage with the community. I guess actually Shane does pay a, a service so that we can stream it online for longer than a certain period of time. But typically people could use Zoom like offline to communicate with each other and uh, build a circle like this where they can meet up and ask each other questions and keep learning. So I'm happy that more of this technology is becoming affordable or free. Like uh, I think you used to have to buy Excel as a really good one for documenting like what you're talking about, when you bought something, how long it lasted, when you got past which season. Um, you can put all those things in an Excel sheet and look at it year by year. But there's a thing called Open Office now that I use. Uh, it's available on Mac and for PC, 100% free and um, legal software. It's not like you have to go pirate anything. So having that technology available is a great asset for people that want to implore that type of thing in their uh, grow setup. Hey, I got a question for Matthew Gates. Are they, is it commonplace now to use drones to do scouting for all uh, pests on large fields now? I wouldn't say that's... Um, well, I would say it's rare. I would say that it really depends on where you're growing, and it definitely depends on what you're, on what you're growing. Um, right. It's becoming much more sophisticated, and it's becoming much... I'm, I'm seeing it a lot more commonly. But I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it totally common. I don't think it's as displaced uh, or even it's used in tandem with the majority of like other kinds of scouting by, by hand. Humans, but, yeah. But I'm, because, but, you know, yes. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say that was one of the, like when I did, I did gorilla grows or I allegedly did gorilla grows back in the day. And when I would bring <laughs> the video camera, like I couldn't stay there forever. You know, I would love to, but. I would go there, you know, I only have so much time, but then I would go home and watch the video and I could see things that I would miss when I was there because I had that video and it was really useful sometimes, especially with bugs and like seeing one plant yellowing out that I didn't notice and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, in fact, the thing about using micro aerial vehicles the most for me is the fact that if you have like a multi-spectral camera, um, and I'm seeing these on like the Mavic 2s and, or, and, and uh, some of the more higher end uh, drone platforms, people can, um, they can see things like uh, elevation on a field, which is helpful to know for like where water moves and other sorts of things like that. Uh, reflectance of the leaves can tell you um, potentially if a plant is uh, dealing with some sort of problem, maybe chlorosis or even just like something uh, that's kind of invisible to our eyes. There was a research report I was reading about um, uh, Xylella fastidiosa, which is a, path a bacterial pathogen that infects a ton of different kinds of plants. And I think I've mentioned it a few times already here, but they were able to tell which trees had the pathogen and which didn't um, like weeks before even symptoms arose uh, in the symptomatic plants. And that was pretty cool. So things like that, where you can use like IR and uh, ultraviolet and um, 
temperature and all these other sorts of things. It's very cool. And I think it would take a lot of work off of the individual if they can use that. They can also do it autonomously. They can set it up so the drone does it automatically, which is also a great labor saving. And then there's also drones that uh, uh, release biocontrol agents as well, kind of airdropping them in. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about those applications for those MAVs. Shout out to Parabug. Yeah. That's a pretty awesome company that I've seen doing that. I'm sure there's many others. And uh, I think the MAVs have lots of practical applications. Uh, to what Tao was saying earlier, I often use the photos to my eye can't zoom like a camera can. So if you take a photo of a bud up close and then you go in and zoom on it, you can see the trichome density, like how many trichomes per square inch or centimeter, and then compare one plant side by side with another plant. I think right there, it gives you a pretty good idea of uh, how much resin production you're getting. Uh, it's a much better visual. And I'm sure many people even have the little macro lenses that you can slap on top of your camera now and uh, get a close up if you don't want to use a macro lens, like with, with a jeweler's loop type thing and try and get up there, cut a piece of your butt off and go look at it somewhere else. I think that the phone with the ability to zoom actually shows uh, up to trichome size pretty well, even without macro lenses, if you zoom with a nice, clear, close photo. But um, do any of you guys use that kind of feature on your phone to like zoom up and get a better feature of how much like density of the trichomes there are? I definitely have gotten more experience with macro shots on my phone. Like curr currently I'm looking at my Samsung Galaxy S9 Edge. I wouldn't recommend the edges actually. Um, they're just uh, gimmicky. But um, yeah, the camera on this is freaking amazing. In fact, I recorded my FAQ video on the, um, the uh, out-facing camera, not the in-facing camera. And it's pretty, pretty spectacular. And the, some of the new models right now that have just come out, like the fidelity and clarity of movement on those cameras is, I'm incredibly impressed. And uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I think I remember reading about somebody who was trying to make a nature documentary totally on smartphone. Like it totally makes sense. Like anyone who says you couldn't do it. I don't know, man, people went to the moon with like the calculating speed of a calculator, right? Or maybe that's apocryphal, I don't know. But. but yeah, no, I think that you're right. The cameras have come so far now and the editing and things like that in posts. Um, people on YouTube are doing it. I mean, look at the professional quality of some of the stuff that's being produced with phones. It's, it's really impressive. And like the S9, like you're talking about an S9 Edge, I have the S9, I enjoy it. It's a great camera, but the newer phones have even better cameras. Like I know the Google Pixel has a higher megapixel and uh, the, the newer ones, like it's probably the Pixel 3 or 4 or something at this point, but even the original one when it came out had a super high quality camera and phones are just getting better and better cameras. So basically everybody who grows cannabis plants can be their own cannabis photographer. You don't need to get a super expensive high-end camera at this point because your phone might very well take a good enough photo uh, to document how beautiful the plant really is. Yeah, I was going to add that what you were saying about, you know, with the camera. First, when you're taking the picture of the bud, you can zoom in. And then after you snap that picture and it's in your files, then you can zoom in on the picture. So you could even get like a double close-up on them trikes, which is pretty cool. Yeah, like the screenshot and then zoom. It gets a little bit blurrier as you go, but it definitely is effective if your phone only zooms in a certain amount. Uh, my app actually gets pretty damn detailed. Like from a full bud, I can zoom in to the point where I can see like the details of the trichome and like the little forest and like how they're waving around. Um, but yeah, like Matthew said, cameras on the phones are getting pretty spectacular. Kyle, 
I know you said that you have some stuff going into week two of flower. That's usually some of my favorite time is uh, coming up after the stretch finishes. You've got uh, stuff starting to bud. What do you got growing on in there? And uh, what kind of camera do you use to document your uh, cannabis? Uh, yeah, so as you guys know, uh, <clears throat> I kind of had to move locations, so I haven't really like flowered anything, man, in like eight months or something like that. And so I don't even like it's almost like being a, a grower all over again. So I'm pretty excited. But uh, I have all my I got all my mothers for my buddy uh, in the next state over in New Hampshire. Luckily, uh, you know, he was nice enough to hold on to it that whole time, uh, and I'd let him use some of it too. So he was, probably didn't really care <laughs> to be honest. But uh, yeah, so I got all the mothers in the tent. Um, Right now, I took clones, obviously, and those clones will be for the breeding project coming up. Um, I went through all my old stash. I have some uh, Matanuska Thunderfuck. I have some uh, uh, Strawberry Cough, some Blackleaf, some Putnam Blackleaf Afghani. I have some Blackleaf Afghani by Pink Kush um, and a bunch of other stuff. And I also popped five seeds of everything that I've ever crossed uh from last year so like uh basically everything that i released uh in the last year i had i actually had other crosses involved with that uh, so basically what i'll do a lot of times and it just because i just love variety and i love to see you know it helps me understand morphology and how cultivars react and how statures react with each other and how they blend and stuff like that is <clears throat> you know so obviously i had like uh well, not obviously but i had eight uh at the time eight two by fours and those are like my little project breeding tents and I'll put one of each uh, cultivar in every single tent, and then I'll put one of each cultivar of something else in that same tent. I'll take another one and put that in each tent. I'll put another one. So basically, I have eight different cultivars with one donor of of all of each other. So I just have like hundreds of different styles and crosses. And uh, so I planted like almost every single seed I have of that. So I'm kind of curious to see how it all turns out. Um, I, some of the stuffs, you know, they're, I mean, they're only like. Uh, I think like week four, week five, but even the stem rubs are like pretty intense on some of them. So I'm pretty excited to see how it turns out. I have some perp strains that might happen. Um, did, you, but, did you pop yeah. any of the uh, lime one, lime one, grape cell skunk? I did. Yeah, I have three. I have four of those in the flower tent. And then I grew, I just popped, I don't know, like four weeks ago when I popped all the ones that I had, I, I dropped, I don't know, like 15 or 20 of them. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, so those are going. Um, what, week are, what week are you in right now on those? For the ones in flower? Well, the ones in flower are in like week one or week week one and a half, too. The ones that are in veg are like week, I don't know, three, week four, probably. Yeah, they, uh, have, a, they, have, a, they have a pretty cool prof, uh, turkey profile to them. I think you'll like them. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was rubbing them just kind of because I'm always curious what Gene has. Gene's like a turt monster. So I was kind of, you know, rubbing them down. And, uh, um, but they were good, you know. Um, I have I found a good male that I'm using right now, and I'm crossing it with uh, Gorilla Glue, and then a Gorilla Glue Reverse Back Cross, the Death Breath, the Limerilla 31, and uh, I think there's a TKNL5 Haze out there, just a random one, AK. That's yeah, get- I mean, there's definitely some uh, a lot of different variables, and I mean, I wouldn't say too crazy, but you could just tell, like, uh, you know, even Gene was like, yeah, some kid asked him, like, you know what's the, what's the genome he's like it's like basically like a 21 plant hybrid <laughs> you know and it's a so it's 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 a little semi-scattery but kind of consistent but it's a almost all the same in some regards but uh yeah i mean there's definitely some some good chirping pro- profiles in there i'm hoping to find one good female and uh incorporate her into the next release that i have um I found yeah, that, I mean, 
Uh, so I I did do the uh, so as you guys know I did the three days uh, three days of darkness, and uh, I mean I would conclude that it all worked. I mean they haven't really jumped at all, um, you know. And, and for me it was I was basically maxed out veg wise. I only had like a couple feet to spare, so it worked for me to just try that process, and it uh, it turned out in the end, you know. So seventy two hours of dark, uh, you could tell there you know when you when I turned the lights back on there were. You could tell they're like kind of stunned, like what the hell happened. But uh, you know, they they bounced right back the next day. I gave them a good feeding, and uh, they just basically just started flowering right with right where they were at. And uh, you know, I didn't have to really worry about them jamming into the light or maxing out the tent. So uh, pretty excited about that. So that kind of worked. If anybody wants to play around with that, in uh, in depending on whatever scenario you might need it for. Um, but yeah, other than that, man, uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see. I'll be taking flower shots pretty shortly here and sharing with you guys. Looking forward to that, Brandon. How could you, uh, or could you do us a favor and maybe give your description of that lime one, lime one grape soda skunk? It's it's kind of difficult. Um, I'm not the best at describing terpene profiles, to be completely honest. But um, it smells kind of like uh, it kind of smells a little bit like the it smells like kind of like a, a like a like a, a skunky kush, but it has more of like a fruit uh, like a fruit uh, sweet fruit that's kind of like rotten a little bit. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. Like yeah. I think that's a great description, personally. Like, yeah, you just I, I fucking nailed it out of the blue after saying you can't do it. You just, like, nailed it like you've done it, like, a billion times. You know what you're It's a humble about, brag. It's a humble yeah. brag. Brandon yeah, knows been, what he's doing. Brandon, I've been, trying, I've been waiting to it, – it seemed like it definitely favored uh, not the limes. I mean, I think on one of mine, I have, like, a like maybe, like, a hue of lime. I don't really know quite yet, but it definitely favors more towards that skunk, like, hint of grape. Not a bunch, but like a hint, but like maybe some like kind of chem, you know, like soapy chem kind of smell. Uh, um, so that's, that's, that's how like my my Marilla is. I have, it's got a really nasty pro- profile, and when I mean nasty, it's like nasty in a good way because it's like it hits you and it's like, oh, this is different because it's not that typical like pine or lemon that you get in a lot of cannabis varieties, right? Like Northern Lights has that kind of smell like whoops excuse me the jack has that kind of smell there's a lot of like pine pine varieties my bird is trying to get chips so that's what you guys heard um so there's a lot of varieties like that but it's not that it's it's really different it's uh it has a really sweet flower onset but it has this really deep chemical lime kind of like pungent um must that just cuts through the whole thing and that's why i really like it because it's really really bright but it but it's just it reeks it's nasty that sounds delicious i'm uh i don't normally hit these but my wife works at a delivery service so we get some discounts and they test this stuff a bunch of times but i'm always worried about the vapes because who knows what the cartridges have in them but this is some forbidden fruit and uh my first thought was grape but then she said to her, it's berry. And as I hit it, I'm like getting more berry. But it's also got like a floral uh, note to it as well, like a lavender almost or something like that. But it's definitely sweet. 
good stuff uh dime vapes out here in california if anybody's wondering what it is oh you know what's gonna be cool I, i'm gonna be one of the the judges for the for the sun grown um at the uh the cowboy cup which they have out here in oklahoma which is like the big cannabis it's like the big cannabis cup that's not like uh not high times you know and to earlier to brandon's humble brag it's like which way are the terps Flexing. Flexing <laughs> I'm interested in the Cowboy Cup. That that it looks like a really cool event, and they have like um, it's really like a grassroots effort, sort of pulled together, bootstrap kind of thing. It's cool. Everybody should it's check it out. It's gonna get better and bigger. Everything uh, cannabis wise out here. If you're, it's almost kind of like if you're first to the table, you're gonna you're gonna eat. You know, because it's so open. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's just a great place to be if you're trying to like be an entrepreneur in cannabis. It's very business friendly. They don't make it really, really difficult for the little guy to be able to succeed out here. So if you're going to do anything, though, you got to do it well. And I think uh, even if you're the first one to the table, you'll probably get some people to show up just because it's the first thing. But I think you want to be known as a quality thing. So and I know you do provide that quality, but I know a lot of people in Oklahoma rushed to the market and they had a less than the quality people out here might expect or yourself moving from California to Oklahoma probably uh, realize a lot of the other producers maybe aren't doing the most that they can for the consumer at the end of the line. They might just be looking out for their own bottom line. Well, for me, you know, when it comes to like what I do, I just try to make my own lane. You know, I don't follow like the recipes for Athena ag with power side or I'm not running, you know, advanced or, you know, I'm not doing any of that, all that kind of recipe phone stuff. I'm, I'm going and getting soil tests done, saturated paste tests, see how things fall in the solution, try to balance, you know, the nutrients with everything else. Like, so that way my solution is both balanced and it has everything in it by just using the water. And so far, you know, I'm really got this thing dialed in and surprisingly enough, one of the things that I see is that the high, high temperature, high humidity, as long as you're, you're not overdoing it on the light, they seem really, really thrive, especially in the soil, because I mean, it just helps keep that soil, you know, biologically active. And I almost think of it like, uh, um, like a little reactor, you know? Like if you have a, like a mycology incubator and you crank that thing up to like, you know, 86 degrees, 86 to like 92 degrees and you put your cultures in there, there's usually the operating temperature ranges where those things uh, Mac are doing, you know, having maximum growth. So I think it might have something to do with that too, you know. Definitely. And I'd say for anybody who's running those temperatures and humidities, uh, make sure you have good airflow, air exchange if you're uh, not in a sealed environment. I wanted to change paces a little bit, though, and throw it over to Dr. MJ. I know you got the plant training growth challenge coming up. And I was just a little bit curious to see what methodology you're going to be taking personally going into that growth challenge or if you've decided yet <laughs> and, uh, why you chose that method. Uh, cool question. Um, I, yeah, I think I'm going to be in the, the mainline manifold group. Um, although I've thought about breaking out of that, but I'm downsizing on this next grow, sort of downsizing, um, going into a four by two tent with uh, one of the SP3000s that I've been playing with. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of, my goal for the plant training grow challenge will be to see how 
sort of uh, valid our uh, harvest potential estimates are for that light in that space, it seems pretty high. We have it pegged at just over a pound coming out of a four by two tent. Um, so that's my goal. And I think mainlines and manifolds will be uh, a good idea. I think I'm just gonna do two big plants um, and then I'll launch a party cup grow at some point and hope there's room for it. I always love seeing people pull off the party cup grows. I, I've never done one yet myself. I have a few ideas of how I might go about it. I'd definitely be running cocoa personally if I was running a party cup grow. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to get a pump for it. I'm going to set it up on its own little uh, irrigation system um, with its own timer and probably crank it up to like once an hour irrigation or fertigation um, once the plant sort of, you know, reaches past like say six, seven nodes or whatever becomes larger than the container could normally support. Um, but that's gonna be a lot of fun. So if, if everybody wants to get in on this uh, party cup grow, I think the, the party cup grow is gonna be just sort of epic to see what people are able to pull off. There's a lot of people that are getting all geared up for it. Only rule is you got to keep the plant within an 18 ounce party cup. Um, you know, if the roots grow out of the cup incidentally, that's not going to disqualify you, but you can't be sort of supporting the roots from outside of the cup. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how people sort of accomplish that. We got a prize for the best uh, party cup grow and for the most creative party cup grow. So people hopefully will get creative with it. You kind of have to grow in a party cup if you're trying to go all the way through. Uh, if you want to get anything larger than just like a little popsicle stick size plant. I've seen some people get massive ass plants out of a party cup. So yeah. I'm really interested to see what people are going to be able to pull I'm going to try to, to I'll think. probably have to manifold that one. But I am going to try to sort of stick with the, the, the plan and uh, train it like I'm training the rest of the plants. That's not sort of required for your, your party cup grow. But um yeah, I mean, I think it should be able to grow well. It's the the sort of the, the root mass may start to limit. I mean, we're really pushing that to the extreme. Normally, container size doesn't have a huge impact on plant size in cocoa if you keep the roots happy. Um, but I mean, we're definitely pushing that to the extreme. But I think that if you keep the roots happy, um, you should be able to end up with pretty big plants. And I think that it creates a real premium on never letting the roots become too unhappy. If you get a lot of root death in your party cup, you are gonna have a hard time um, sort of recovering from that. Um, oftentimes when plants go through sort of an episode that leads to a lot of root death, then they end up colonizing new media and growing new roots, but they won't really have an opportunity to do that in this situation. Can Can Grow today, uh, Party Cup Grow on one of his last grows that I saw him document on his YouTube channel and as well as his Instagram. We haven't heard from uh, Can Can Grow, so we're sending good vibes his way up in Canada. Um, reach out to one of us or any of us, Can Can. We haven't heard from you in a bit. We hope you're doing well, uh, even if you're busy. Uh, hopefully, we can get some through to you in the DMs and hopefully everything's uh, going well over there because uh, you did a great job always on the show whenever you're here and we always appreciate your feedback and your grows are awesome and but more so than anything we just hope that you're well and uh, healthy and all that good stuff so yeah i think indeed, uh, indeed. i started to get worried about can can when we were talking about it before the show yeah definitely so uh hopefully he can uh, reach out to us at some point or get back to i know uh, kyle had some questions for him because he was growing some of his genetics and uh things like that but that being said 
said, uh, I know that there's a lot of uh, reasons that people can't travel right now. I'm going to pass it over to Matthew Gates a little bit. Do you have any, uh, I know that typically for where you in the past have been somebody who travels a bit from place to place uh, to do what you do. Uh, I know now a lot of people are restricted on travel. Do you have any travel plan anytime in the near future? And if not, what are you uh, doing uh, more on the local front recently since uh, things have been changed quite a bit in the last few months or this year? Yeah, so I actually, you know, now that you say that, <laughs> I have I have an event that was scheduled, I think, next week. Yeah, on the 22nd. It was a panel called Fighting Nature with Nature, Integrated Pest Management. That was, I think, the name that I gave the presentation. It was supposed to be at the Hyatt in uh, Garden Grove, California. Um, I had the conference number and everything. This is for Canna Farm Con 2020. Right, right, right. Um, but I probably won't go because of the situation being what it is. And besides that, I didn't really have a whole lot of um, a place that I would be going. And I've definitely been affected in that way. I know a lot of my contemporaries have been. I know um, Suzanne Wainwright Evans, the bug lady, was talking about how she, I don't think she's been, she's traveled to any locations in like three or four months. Um, I can definitely empathize with that. Locally, though, um, I've just been making my uh, my living space into a into a command center of uh, podcasts and video production, and always looking for content and information from the people who follow my channels and that sort of a thing. So mostly, I've just been reflecting inward and trying to improve my video production and uh, that sort of uh, subject matter for the most part. I've always felt like the information that I give out is most best on YouTube anyways. And um, I don't know if that presentations in person tend to even give a ton of uh, advantages from an informational standpoint, except for the fact that it's easier to flag somebody down and ask them more questions or um, there's some intimacy to conversations that are in person. That's true. But for overall general information trends, for, and I think Dr. MJ Coco probably attests that this isn't always true, especially in a teaching environment, but for the things that I'm trying to dictate, where it's more um, one-sided than sort of a two-sided situation, uh, video works well enough. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's different, isn't it? There are some things that, that video and and other forms of online sort of interaction work better, I agree, than um, like an in-person or just you don't need the in-person situation for all of it. But there are other things that are damn near impossible to sort of recreate in an online setting. So um, but I, I agree, it's content related. The content definitely makes a big difference uh, what's being taught. And uh, I think that, like you said, Matthew, yours does translate really well to video. So definitely plug for Xenthanol, the YouTube video, uh, YouTube channel. I want to pass it over to Aaron the Grower. You've been quiet over there a little bit. How's the weather treating you up there in Northern California? And how are the plants doing? It's perfect. They're perfect. Actually, so I got hit with um, russets and uh, thrips recently. So beware if you're in my area I feel like I I kind of detect this stuff before a lot of my buddies and they're like no my plants are fine and then two weeks later they're like oh my god the russets and I'm like already killed them so you know uh, russet mites are really rough um, 
I and my my garden is like stacked with biologicals. Like I have like aureus every every few weeks. I order aureus insidiosis, uh, chrysopa. Um, I'm forgetting the name. Uh, Swirskii and cucumeris. Basically every few weeks, and um, and still these things demolished some leaves and <clears throat> and really made their presence known. Uh, Matt and I are probably going to do a video on russets um, for mid-month live for our mid-month live. So, yeah, um, plants are happy. I'm I'm scraping up some like C-grade rosin right now. That you know, I, I got this new rosin press that I'm messing around with. I just built a stand for it and and got it going. So, you know, just knocking two birds out with one stone. I'm I'm still here. I'm listening. Sorry. You mean getting two two birds stoned at once, right? Feeding two <laughs> birds with one seed. How about that? For the vegans out there, they get mad when you say to kill to any of an animal with one stone. So uh, I heard to change it to feed two birds with one seed or one banana or something, you know, whatever they want to eat. Whatever, dude. It's rosin. I'm not actually killing birds. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but you, yeah, it's so easy to piss those idea. fucking vegans off, man. Oh boy. Yeah, they grow some good, good cannabis. Come at me. Rastas. Come at Rastas. me. I tall diet is vegan. So any of the Rastas out there, they're vegan. I respect anybody for however they want to eat, uh, for moral reasons or for health reasons. Uh, you know, eat whatever you want to eat. So do speak. I. So do I. But like, for God's sakes, they're the easiest. It's so easy to, to you know, I'm just going to shut up. I'm digging myself a bigger hole. What were you saying? Uh, uh, so, anyways, um, I actually recently uh, got some burrow bananas. Has anyone here ever had burro bananas? That like burro, like a donkey in Spanish. I might have, Matt. I've eaten lots of different bananas and plantains, but uh, not that I'm sort of recalling specifically. Yeah, maybe maybe my description will jog your memory, and I I bet you probably have if you have, because I guess because I found these in like a store, so I didn't have to go anywhere too crazy to get them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're kind of like stubbier and kind of squarish i'm actually looking at the bag that they're sitting in i'm hoping to ripen them up do not eat them raw uh, unless you want to cook them like a plantain because yeah they're super stringent um <laughs> if they're unripe are they uh, yeah are they starchy or just super starchy uh there's yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah and but but uh i did eat one that was like 90 percent ripe just today so yeah. are you sure they're not exactly are you sure they're not just young or unripened oh yeah these one i i tested it out i was like oh are you ripe yet nope you're definitely not ripe yet um but it, i've heard descriptions on, on the internet that these are kind of that they have like a lemony flavor to it and i would agree actually there's kind of a sort of a citric uh lemony flavor to them or at least to the one that i had at the level of ripeness that it had there's like 80 percent or mm. so i think Anyways, um, yeah, I bet the level of ripeness probably affects the flavor profile quite a bit. But do you have you ever eaten like even Cavendish that are unripe as like plantains? Like, would you say that in your experience, most bananas can be eaten like plant plantain cooking style? Or is yeah, it like, you can definitely cook them all. Um, yeah, and some of them you really have to cook, otherwise they'll always be sort of too tough and starchy and and right. iffy or whatever. Um, I wonder if Cavendishes make good like sort of plantain substitutes like with sugar content or whatever I, I i always love looking at like the different varieties and how uh they can have different culinary um mm -hmm. you know uh advantages mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I'd i really want to ask my wife. This is really my wife's forte with, with the plantains and the bananas. But um, yeah, I, I don't know the terps. ones you're talking about sort of specifically, Matt. There's some banana terpenes on uh, Primal Punch version two. They call it F2 from uh, MedGrower One. It's a banana punch across the Gorilla Glue. And Eagle Gardens One, a common listener in our chat, he's uh, growing a cut of it. And he said it smells like the baby uh, plantains, like really super sweet banana all the way through to the end of the joint. You taste it. Uh, so pretty interesting stuff that can be found in cannabis as well. So to circle it back to the cannabis Indeed. conversation. Anybody ever grow a banana or get to experience that smoke in the flower? I have. Yeah. I've, um, when I lived, it, well, just up the coast here a little ways, yeah, there's not a lot of places in the continental United States that you can grow bananas, but there's a couple of little pockets in Southern California that they can do, um, that they can survive basically. And, um, yeah, we grew, um, it wasn't, uh, the Cavendish, but it was, uh, uh, sort of a sweet plantain. I don't even know that we know what the actual species of it was. It produced pretty well. We got some pretty big sort of clusters of, of little bananas out of that, but we cooked them all. Um, my wife did. So um, cooked them like platanos en tentacion or uh, just sort of um, fried them up and ate them with eggs. I know this is the cheap home grow, which is a uh normally about cannabis but i think it's awesome to talk about <laughs> growing your own food brandon you've got a nice garden in your home grow at your backyard right now of food what are some of the things that you're growing and uh how much do you typically or how much are you harvesting because i feel like a lot of people grow more than they would expect and end up giving a lot away to their friends and uh it turns out to be if you do it right can be uh, very bountiful to have your own garden yeah i uh i i pull like some decent fruits I mean, these things are pretty heavy. A lot of cucumbers. Uh, I have tons and tons of beans that I still need to harvest. And uh, crack these open and get the actual beans. There's so many of them. And I just haven't gone through. But I can show you kind of what I have going. I don't have much as of right now. As far as the garden goes, I have uh, I got this thing here. Um, I got some corn I planted it in the ground and I just put some like just a couple of little things on the ground um, this was my second attempt at the at corn um, and I didn't do super great there's the other corn over there in a second and what variety of corn do you grow yeah that's what I was wondering oh okay so this corn is the corn it was given to me by a neighbor that's not corn <laughs> this is yeah it is <laughs> what do you think it is doc isn't that corn yeah uh, no his voice i was watching the youtube and he showed this close-up of his his cannabis plant as he went outside right as he was talking about it being corn oh, i realized i was yeah. out of sync <laughs> with his voice <laughs> oh uh, yeah yes <laughs> um this is it's a uh, blue corn taos blue I guess it's like a, it's been preserved for like 800 years. Somebody gave it to me, a Mexican woman, Mexican Indian woman from uh, New Mexico. She also gave me cucumbers and beans and all kinds of stuff. I have a bunch of cucumbers and uh, tomatoes and stuff growing in here. I just, uh, I don't 
do too much. I just kind of come out here every once in a while and pick what's ripe. But I was out here not too long ago. And as you can see, there's, you know, there's some stuff coming up. But I just planted all these in the ground. I didn't stake them up. I, I just didn't have a whole lot of extra time. And then uh, you're running a giant facility over there. I'm sure you're pretty busy and uh, planning all the other stuff you got going on. I'm pretty uh, happy to see that you're growing this much. I wish I had the property to do something like this. My development is way too small and uh, we only are allowed five potted plants. That's the last of my, uh, that's the last of the corn. And it's, it's all corn. dead. I harvested it. I really got to cut it down, but you know, I got a little rabbit over there who's always up in my shit. And again, there's more stuff. There's like cucumbers in here still. It's nice to grow your own corn because so much of it's GMO. I grew up in a spot in Ohio where there was a lot of uh, sweet corn that wasn't GMO. It was like uh, local to that area and they've kept it in the family for years and years. And yeah. there's sometimes nothing better than that. And when you grow it yourself, uh, sometimes it can be quite it's delicious. tough. Corn is such a promiscuous plant that if people are growing corn around you and it's GMO corn, then you'll get those genes in your corn. Um, sure. But yeah. There was some story about like uh, the farmer who grew the best corn. He always gave out his seed to like his neighbors because he knew it would cross pollinate or whatever. And he wanted them to have the best stuff. And he's just like a more dedicated farmer. He's going to grow it better anyway. So he wasn't as worried about the competition as he was worried about preserving his own good genetic lines. So he just gave out free seed to everyone around him. Well, having everybody around you, if you're actually trying to grow a field of corn, um, is really helpful. You know, when you get the corn that has um, each kernel is a different color. That's because yeah. each kernel was pollinated by a different father. Um, every you know strain of silk is that pistol that, that goes and grabs the pollen. And if there's a lot of different um, potential parent plants in that environment, then it creates just an inconsistent product. So farmers that are interested in getting a consistent product want to make sure that all their corn is pollinated by the same male or by the same male genetics. Um, so it would make sense that if you were growing around other people that were had other lines to try to get them to switch to your line. And I'm pretty sure that like, um, that, uh, maize in particular is, uh, there are a lot of different ploidy, uh, varieties, aren't there? There's like, there's a, there are diploids and triploids and I think even tetraploids too, but I don't remember off the top of my head if that's the case. A lot of crop plants are like that. Don't but... they deliberately want to breed with one because it becomes more stable, like a diploid or a tetraploid or something like that? Because they can stay yeah, faster. Th there's also like resistances associated with different ploidy levels and that sort of a thing. But yeah, um, to be honest, I think that uh, it's very hard to talk about that generally. I'd have to, I, if I was really, <laughs> well, I agree with me. <laughs> I, I know a lot about corn genetics and stuff, but you're, you're pushing into those regions where I'm like, okay, now we're getting pretty deep, but yeah. But like, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Are there tetraploid uh, maize? Is that, am I wrong there? I, I believe so. No, I don't believe you're wrong. Myself. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good. I just wanted to make sure with that particular one. Next to cannabis, I think corn is one of the most studied plants on the planet, right? It's a really bizarre one. And the whole the whole um, domestication of corn is is really sort of a, a bizarre story because it's the most different from its wild ancestor of any of the the cereals that we produce today. Um, corn is nothing like the teosinte that it was um, um, domesticated from, um, and yet. Um, so that suggests that it was really heavily selected by humans. Um, it must have gone through a really um, 
a really narrow bottleneck, um, meaning that the population that, that we worked with now, it, it must have been like one sort of little communities, corn or whatever, um, with really limited uh, genetics in order to be able to be selected so strongly. Um, but the other side of that is corn is one of the most diverse um, modern cereals that we have as well. So there's more genetic diversity in corn than there is in wheat or in other cereals. Um, and, and that becomes sort of confusing. So how could it be the most different from its wild ancestor and the most diverse modern cultivar? Like within um, that group, right? Brandon, that? are you chasing a rat? Sorry, I got a little distracted. I think Brandon over there is caught a little. Is, oh, is it a chicken? Oh, I think you're it's a, a chicken. It looks like, like a what chicken. What is going on? Okay. I don't know. He's got a full on farm. <laughs> but that's very paradoxical. I agree. Uh, it's yeah just a paradoxical relationship so for a long time they didn't know for a long time they thought that the wild ancestor of corn had, was like proto-corn that went extinct or something but there's been enough sort of genetic analysis to to suggest very strongly that teosinte is the the wild ancestor um that it was domesticated only about seven thousand years ago and it's it's just a, a an enigma so it has received a lot of attention in terms of understanding corn genetics and it's really complicated i mean i've studied it obviously but you're getting into areas <laughs> that are still sort of beyond my depth and perhaps you know kind of like on the on the bleeding edge even for that too so it's kind of that's another reason it's hard to talk about it generally cuz you know a lot of people would be very reticent to go too far right like what what you're saying uh, with the current research in that in that scope to bring yeah. it back to cannabis, though, um, you know, that's kind of true even for cannabis. Like, I was reading the, uh, the there's a McPartland and Ernst video, Ernst, Ernst video, or not video, uh, research report, geez. I'm, I'm thinking about my video too much. But um, <laughs> the, uh, the paper was talking about the, these endangered high THC uh, sort of wild, um, or it was talking about the, the the different restructuring classifications of the different cultivars, or not cultivars, but like subspecies rather, and how, I mean, even in the abstract, they say that like uh, introgressive hybridization of like cannabis, like like cannabis as we've cultivated it nowadays, both commercially and even just individually, has like obliterated the like various like morphologies and. Um, sort of a diversity in that way yeah uh, because you know like as i talked about before in my um in my cannabis ipm video about like the different haplogroups that we know about right now which there could very well be more and all these other sorts of things but um that sort of stratification on latitude on the earth's um surface you know that can easily be through human cultivation um mixed and it's really hard really impossible they even described it as extinction, like, and that's happened to a lot of crop plants, like, like, wouldn't you agree? Like a lot of crop plants that we've cultivated, the wild ancestors either don't really exist anymore, or like you said, with the maize are so far removed that they're in some ways not even the same thing. Um, yeah, it's true for some crops. It's certainly true for some that have been really heavily selected. So that's more true for like vegetable crops. Um, a lot of the vegetable crops are sort of unrecognizable. I mean, if you guys realize how many different ways we eat cabbage, you'd be sort of shocked. Yes. Um, so. Orchard like broccoli is cabbage, cauliflower is cabbage, Brussels sprouts are cabbage, cabbage is cabbage. I mean, all of these things are, are just sort of selected varieties of cabbage. 
Um, and trees and stuff are less so this way, right? We can find grains like the... are, yeah. So like wheat and the wild ancestor of wheat, even even um, most uh, legumes or and uh, or sorry, um, things like soybeans, um, other stuff like that. The wild ancestors are more um, are known and are closer. There, there's even some um, disputes in terms of some cultivated crops whether they're fully domesticated or whether we're just sort of working with a wild plant. I think citrus is like that. And I think apples, I think some one of the origin points, or maybe it's a relic, or what do they call it? Relic point? That's not the right word. But like, sometimes like got a, a question from the chat, if we want to take it, or sorry, I don't want to cut you off. The population, I think Kazakhstan is one of the original or that sort of Caucasus areas where like apples are from, like that kind of a thing. Uh -huh. Pretty fascinating. Well, the big difference with apples, I think we've talked about this before, is the sort of the domestication point for apples is grafting them onto good rootstock. Um, apples, you can't really grow an apple tree from a seed and uh, it sort of shatters the myth of Johnny Appleseed or whatever. Um, in order to grow a good apple tree that produces excited. good apples, you need to graft it onto a different tree's rootstock. And that's the, the main sort of horticultural practice that goes into apple cultivation so getting a little bit back to cannabis yeah, we have yeah. a question in the <laughs> chat they said has anybody tried growing a 21 20 to 1 uh cbd to thc and how stable are they and i would say it would depend on the variety but there's a number now like acdc uh canatonic harlesu stuff that will test um higher like 30 to 1 even uh cbd to thc and one of the tips that i was taught by uh wayne laughter of house of harlequin he found the harlequin plant which is another cbd plant is that the later you push a cbd if it's like a one-to-one -one, uh, cbd to thc the later you push it more thc and the earlier you harvest yeah. you're gonna have higher cbd typically so i'd err on the side of early if you're looking for more cbd on those types of crosses Yeah, I don't really know what the question means in terms of s stable. Is that? Is, do you think he's referring to no matter when you harvest it, Jack? I think he's meaning like uh, ratios stable. Um, and there's one person right, that I right. There's a stable ratio regardless of when you are. Is that across different seeds or across different plants? I think maybe across different seeds. Like if you pop ten seeds, how many of them are going to be twenty to one? Or uh, a lot of times when people say stable, they mean they won't hermaphrodite. But I think in this case, they're probably talking right, about specifically. Right. Now I know it can mean different things in relation to that ratio. And one person I want to shout out is Shanti Baba. He's been in the game over 50 years. He started when he was like a teen and he's in his late sixties or seventies now. He's uh, from Mr. Nice Seed Company. He was formerly of Greenhouse. He did like the Super Silver Haze, White Widow, uh, now called Black Widow, a bunch of other good stuff. But um, he has a group called the CBD Crew Official and they've got a bunch of different varieties where he guarantees a certain analysis. If you're looking for one-to-ones, it'll be like X amount of CBD and X amount of uh, THC and he is so good at breeding um, CBD into like high terpene varieties that many of the Dutch companies actually had him do their CBD varieties so like if you see I don't, I don't want to name whatever farm but a lot of those big Dutch companies if they have CBD lines of every one of their popular strains it was probably done by Shanti Baba at Mr. Nice or CBD crew so they have some really good uh, what I'd call stable CBD if you're looking for like stuff that most cannabis smokers would also like to enjoy smoking because like you can get hemp cbd but most of that stuff has very low terpenes and uh, there's a lot of high terpene low thc 
high CBD varieties, and even CBG, CBN, all these other things coming out now. Aaron, do you grow any CBD up there? I do. Um, I have a variety called Cherry Wine Hemp that I try and put one or two plants in the ground every run just to account for the people that I give away medication to um, that need CBD, cancer patients and stuff like that, terminal patients. And I usually use that to make RSO unless people prefer flour. But um, but uh, I'll say this, I had a, I popped a Susie Q seed. It was a 13 to one. And this was like five years ago or something when CBD was just like, I don't want to say just becoming hot, but people were just discovering the benefits of CBD at a, at a really global level. It wasn't and, sold at every gas station and corner store. Yeah, like it is not now. quite. This is the prequel to that. And, um, and I had a lot of success with that plant. I think that, you know, and, and choosing a phenotype, everything went as well as it could with any kind of cannabis breeding selection. Um, you know, it, it's pretty, and the plant was super stacked, like short and stacked. It's not like what you might expect to see in like a hemp cultivar where it's tall, skinny, fibrous, and, you know. Was that how the cherry wine was? Because it's called cherry wine hemp, but I thought that might have just been because of the 0 0.3 or lower THC. I think and that's why. Did you just... ever get the one fourteen to 1 or whatever it was tested? Uh, yeah, and... I can't remember what it tested at, but it was, it was close enough to where I was like, yeah, okay. 13 to one, they did a good job. And I selected the Fino. So, you know, and I understand that there's going to be some variance in this stuff, but. Um, Weather, harvest time, all that stuff. Definitely. So I, oh yeah. I think that's cool that it came out close to what you expected. And at least you remember you weren't like hugely disappointed or that it was like a high THC variety, which in some cases people buy what they think is hemp or CBD and it ends up being higher THC than they were. Which is like worst case scenario, right? Like that'd be like, you know, if you're giving somebody something that you're saying, this is not going to get you high. And then, you know, they're calling you on the phone, like, I need you to come pick me up or something, you know, it, it really gets bad, man. So you got to be careful with CBD. CBD is, is, it's a dangerous game. I think a lot of people pulled out of the market. A lot of the big players pulled out of the market early on. I just hope that people uh, continue to do it well, the ones that are, and the ones that are doing it poorly get exposed for it and get phased out, because I think that there are good people doing it. I think, personally, I prefer more of a full spectrum, but I don't know how everybody else on the panel feels. My personal ailments get treated much better by CBD with uh, maybe THC. If I'm allowed to take that, but I know everyone else is not. But even if you can't, there's like isolate versus distillate, where you can get like CBD plus terpenes and other things that are naturally in the cannabis plant that I think maybe offer more of a entourage effect as Ethan Rousseau would uh, describe as, which may be more medically beneficial to a lot of ailments. But I do know that there are people out there that benefit from CBD and CBD alone. Um, I just think it takes a lot higher dose when it's used on its own and it might have benefit from other elements within the cannabis plant. Kyle, you use uh, CBD recently. You've been getting into it within like the last year or so. And you've been talking about how it's uh, helping your anxiety. Are you still sticking with it? Or have you gone back to the THC varieties? And uh, do you experiment with any other minor cannabinoids or things like that? Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> ironically, uh, I've just been sticking with the uh, the CBD oil. So I have this, and I, well, I don't even really know where to start with this. So I, I know a girl that gets isolate by like the weight and... Uh, She's been making me this uh, grapeseed oil, I think that's what it is, mixed with uh, the isolate. And uh, basically, whenever I just have these 
anxious feelings in it. Like I just can't shake. Uh, yeah, I just put like uh, it's fifteen, so it's like a little vial, and it's fifteen hundred milligrams. So I just take like a half, or sometimes two halves, or like obviously, or one full, and uh, that like basically within like a couple minutes, man, I'm like calm right down. And uh, you know, so I've been playing around with that, and uh, so I actually ran out. And uh, I couldn't get a hold of the girl that was that kind of gets that stuff. So I went to a, a store nearby, and man, they have like it's like a, a vial the size of like I don't even know like a half a crayon. It's not even that big or something. And it was like a hundred dollars. I was like, "Jesus, crow!" You know. And this girl was you know selling it to me for way way dramatically less than that. So it's like I can't even imagine what's going on with that whole situation. Uh, you I don't you think it, do you still have a that link I sent you, there's a guy named the Tetra guy who has pretty good pricing. He gave out thousands of free cherry wine. I got free cherry wine seeds from him just for like reposting something. And I ended up giving them away to somebody who's dealing with cancer. And, um, but that being said, he has pretty well priced stuff. And also, uh, this isn't like open to everybody. I don't think, but sequence, um, from the Michigan bros grow show, talked to us in the uh, cheap home grow chat about having it. I want, I can't, I don't want to say the price on, live but it was pretty fair price and it didn't have a minimum order or anything like that so i would reach out to him or the tetra guy on instagram has a public website he gets all of his stuff lab tested and it's grown here in the usa which uh shout out to him i think he's doing a great service to people offering good clean cbd at a fair price so just want to give him a plug for doing that yeah, I'll have to up check that out. And shout out to shout out to Aaron, man. He hooked me up with some uh, some uh, I don't know what the hell the name is. I'm sure you could chime in real quick. But uh, all right, so yeah, I wasn't sure how comfortable you were with with me yeah. saying it on live, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, you know, if you need any more of that, you let me know, dude. Yeah, yeah, that, that stuff's awesome too. Um, and you, so just to just to recap, so last night this girl had some uh, or somebody I was hanging out with. She had like this. I don't know what the ratio was, man. And so obviously I know what the effects are of like the pure isolate CBD, but I, I so last night specifically, literally last night, uh, she smoked a blunt of this stuff and, and I, 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 don't, I had a couple of drinks tonight and I smoked this. I don't really remember, but I smoked it sober last night, like, you know, just hanging out at the house and it was like a full, basically like a full CBD flower. Like, I guess you could call it like a full, I'm getting like the full spectrum of it. And man, that was like so much more intense in a way that like, I just like, I immediately couldn't even keep my eyes open. Like all pain went away and I just like passed out like a child, man. It was like so, so much more intense. So I think I need to start like uh, looking more into like the, the full full spectrum aspect and stuff like that. I think it's definitely for, at least for me, it's, it serves more of a, you know, it just helps me better for sure. I think Brandon was onto something pretty badass with the idea of doing like a 10% THC, 10% CBD and 10% terpenes in a cultivar or something like that, you know, be a pretty badass, like 30% uh, is a pretty common achievable amount of secondary cannabinoid or secondary metabolites to achieve on a cannabis plant and flower. So I think uh, those sort of more full spectrum ratios, whether it's CBN or CBD or CBG or THCV, all these different minor cannabinoids, I think it'll be cool to see as more people are offered different ratios, they'll see which ones work best with their endocannabinoid system and will be able to best treat themselves. Go ahead, Brandon, sorry. I saw you unmute yourself and uh, you can jump in. Oh, uh, yeah, so I still have the uh, uh, the Russian Land Race Gorilla Glue crossed back into the regular Gorilla Glue. And it's a project I've been working on for like the high terpene uh, one-to-one. So it's still happening, it's a slow process. I haven't been working on it. I just, uh, I have the genetics preserved 
I've been holding the, uh, the, the, the mom. Um, and hopefully in the near future, I'll be able to keep it working on it. It's just, I have too much, too many projects at the, at the moment. Someday down the line. That's the way I've got so many different projects in the future. And I just figure we're going to be growing for a long time. So it's, it's going to, it'll happen eventually when it needs to happen. And I think when it does, people will be uh, really excited about what you find with that. Cause I know you have a good eye for terpenes and cannabis in general. And I think a lot of people are going to stop looking at just the 30% THC or just the highest THC number they can buy. Um, if it's even offered in the test and start looking into more of the uh, full spectrum varieties, whatever it may be, you know, you know, it's one of the things like, you know, I run, a, you know, a, a pretty large facility for the medical market out here in Oklahoma. And uh, a lot of the, the guys that are growing the best weed, uh, they, they grow, they're growing the same variety. So I try not to, I try not to grow any, you know, all the same stuff. I try to kind of do things like my own stuff and things that I've hunted and found and that nobody else has that way i can kind of distinguish myself i think of it like a vintage of wine each harvest you have there's only so many grams or ounces or pounds right and you're that grower your facility has a not like a terroir but you have a specific taste and flavor profile that your lights and soil and everything are putting out and even if other people are growing the same strands which most of them are not because you hunted your own stuff from seed which i think is a great thing to do i like to do that with my own home grow because like an each thing uh, feels kind of unique and it's like a limited batch and once it's gone it's gone and uh, it makes it sort of like special like in a fun experience and you can rehunt it and pop it again or run clones if you took them but I think that it's it's smart to not run what everybody else is running so that you can have a little bit more uh, unique stuff to stand out if it's good because a lot of times people are like fuck it I just want the GG4 which thankfully you have but like or OG like you know some people only want to smoke that one thing so it depends what market you're in. I'll be doing some uh, some stuff that nobody else has that are like some, some new stuff. Like there's a, I have an ice cream cake crossed into high octane OG and Z and Z Kittles or Skittles or whatever it's called. <laughs> we'll see. I'll be it's doing the Skittles with a Z. Yeah. I guess you could say Skittles, but uh, the American one, you've been awful quiet over there, man. What you doing? What you smoking on? And uh, do you have any questions or thoughts? You're muted. Hopefully you're still with us. Yeah, no, I'm here. I'm here. I, uh, I was muted and I was sidetracked, but uh, yeah, I'm just taking it all in, listening. You know, I think... Um, even if Russ Brandon grew the exact same stuff that all those other players in his area grew, his would stand out. I'm almost certain of it. And I also was thinking about uh, Spartan Grown. Them guys are on a uh, Grow Up Challenge thing, and he's a contender, I believe, right? So that would be pretty cool. I'm, I'm really curious to see, because I know one other contender that might have a chance at uh, winning that thing. So it's pretty cool. Shout out to the uh, Michigan bros grow show i think it's called the great lakes grow off sponsored by 2020 mendocino they're growing pineapple tie crossed to uh sour strawberried and um i think they're all growing their own stuff from seed which is interesting because they have they all have their own phenotype it's not like the grow off where they're all growing the same cut um or in like michigan where a bunch of people have gmo and uh spartan grown's facility mint and canicro uh crushes it and people still want to buy it from them because they grow it the dankest so People are always going to want to buy the best stuff from the best producers. I think. I, you know, there's a there's a 
uh, home grow cup going on right now out here in Oklahoma, sponsored by uh, Herbig Herbage Magazine and um, and uh, the Cowboy Cup. It's going to be like the winner's going to be announced at Cowboy Cup for the home grow. And I supplied the genetics because they were going to do, I think, Brothers Grim Seeds. But then people were like, well, we're not going to enter because we want to all have the same cut, you know, so because the judging is based off of test results strictly. And they didn't think that uh, that's how the grow off is too. starting starting from seed um, would be the best option because the the variance in 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 the in the plants, you know, as far as the genetics is is concerned, there's different phenotypes. So if they were just based off of strictly uh, the profile or just the testing and not the actual, like there's not a person judging the quality of the, of the cannabis itself. Um, that was kind of, that was kind of the contestants concern. So I offered to do a limited release on a clone drop to a couple shops where the contestants could go pick up the cut themselves. And so I supplied one of my varieties that I had, created back in san diego with sour cheeseberry i'm looking you know, some to some that. people would say that purely through smelling it and taking a look at the bud structure alone you can tell everything you need to know about what the psychoactive effects will be uh, not that i think that's the case but i mean obviously right because of phenotypes and you know certain morphological characteristics there's no evidence that i'm aware of that sort of um max you know, the wizard it, can do it Okay, I'll no, tell you this. Yeah. I'll tell you this right now. I actually, I'm a plant morphology does, does not determine because I have, I dude, I mean, I deal with hundreds of plants at a time, and and uh, I've gone through so many different hunts, and I have seen a huge variety of morphology, and it's all it is always different. It doesn't it morphology has never really define any type of cannabinoid or turkey profile. I think smell can give you a hint on how it might affect you though. And I want to, just before we move off of the cup subject, the four plants cup in Canada, because you can grow, everyone could grow four. Um, you just got to grow whatever you wanted, but they can send cannabis in the mail to each other legally in Canada. So that's pretty awesome in my opinion, but they had a thing called the four plant cup and Miss Nudie Grows, a fellow panel member who's been on this show many times in the past, she entered and of all the people in Canada who entered that Four Plants Cup, she took second place. So shout out to Miss Nudie Gross, because that's pretty impressive in my opinion. I think uh, she should be very proud of herself with uh, all the people who entered for her to place so high. I think it, uh, she's doing big things up there at a commercial LP. So shout out to her. I hope she's doing very well. And uh, yeah, sorry, it's, it's back great to see like all the different, all of our panel members uh, progress and like move into like bigger and better cannabis. It has been very fun. I mean, uh, yourself, Spartan, uh, Aaron's got a pretty badass setup up there, even though it's just a homesteading kind of thing and off-grid. Uh, Dr. MJ's site has been growing rapidly. Kyle, I've been seeing more and more people growing his genetics. The American one, I didn't even realize you had so many crosses and so many people were growing them and loving it. Uh, your stuff looks like it yields pretty crazy too. Both you and Kyle, you guys picked for that big yield. I think you know what the growers want, right? Yeah, I try to I try to get it all, you know. Yeah, you can. There's you can get it all. You get big chunks covered with resin, 
smells like every picture that uh, Brandon Rush shows is what I'm trying to. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. I I'm telling you, I just can't get over how good his shit looks. Yeah, I per- I literally purposely good too. I purposely like, and again, this is just my style, and everyone has their own way of doing things. So like, I actually like select against that stretchy you know, like six inch internode gap or plus internode gap. And then there's like fire flower. Like I don't, for me, I've, that's just not my thing. You know, I want to, I'm trying to like give someone that has like higher yield and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I mean, I obviously I try and lean that way for sure, but I, I definitely like, I personally select uh, against it. Uh, I just, I'm definitely more about yields for sure. If you want a good breeding stock, I highly recommend a skunk one super skunk from AK bean brains. Um, Dude, I'm like the the stacking, the internodal space is phenomenal. And the actual like the size of the flowers themselves right now are it's they're they're like a biomass producer. So they they just get huge super super fast and they produce massive flowers. Does it smoke well? I know I like the J1, which is a skunk one, Jack Herrera, and uh that is a famous yielder i mean out here it pushed over three alight for years and many people still run it um but how is the flavor and and the high on that skunk one cross from akb marines i'm i'm i have only tested i think maybe one out and it didn't have any it wasn't anything like the jack hair it was really sweet um it was a little bit fruity but it was the the one that i had i just ran from seed it wasn't i didn't um uh, I didn't, uh, it was just kind of like on the side. It wasn't on my table or anything. Um, the ones that I'm running right now are, I think, day, 24 days into flowering. So, so speaking of okay. Jack Rare, Sour Diesel Tangi uh, asked earlier if we could describe what we consider the Jack Herrera profile. And I guess I could start off like Leafly will tell you like terpenaline is a terpene that's commonly found in there. And I would agree sometimes there's, a thing about Jack Herrera is it's a cross of a whole bunch of different things. It's a polyhybrid. So if you're growing it from seed, there's a chance that you're going to get a way different phenotype than what many of us might have experienced. Uh, but I would say often, like Brandon described, pine and lemon are found in there. And it's typically uplifting, creative, uh, pretty cerebral high in my experience. Doc, I know you've grown uh, Jack Herrera, at least from seeds, man. How would you yeah. describe? And I know you've also mentioned not having the best ability to describe smells, but what would you say? And maybe Brandon. I agree. Yeah. No. Um, well, the biggest thing about Jack, it's been different. So I'll agree with everything you've just said. Um, I've grown two different uh, plants out from seed of Jack Herrera. They're supposed to be exactly the same, but they were different. They were morphologically similar, but smoked very differently. The first one I grew was one of my all-time favorite plants. Um, very kind of piney and um contemplative it was my sort of uh you know sit on the back porch contemplate the universe as i watch the stars strain um the the second time i grew it out it wasn't it didn't have that same kind of effect i mean it's just kind of sort of an overall high it didn't sort of trigger my my you know floating through the universe thoughts um which i was disappointed in because that's sort of one of my favorite highs is to to sort of drift through the universe high. Um, and I definitely think that that is associated uh, in some way with the alpha pinene or alpha pinene rich strains, which uh, I agree with that. Um, but I didn't, I don't have any other sort of flavors to contribute in that regard. 
I, I think that was a great very, just how you described the high one being like so it sort of let you down from what you were expecting about that sort of happy cerebral uh crazy you know good yeah good i mean you know where you kind of feel like you're flying through like i've often sat and looked up at the sky and feel like i'm flying the, the planet earth through the the universe or whatever you know and and kind of think about space and dimensions and all sorts of like those fun being high thoughts um and they really only sort of take over me with certain strains. So I'm always kind of on the lookout for those strains. Definitely. Tao, did you have something to add there? No, I was just going to ask. Were they? Because I've seen pictures. I never had the track. I never grew it out or had it. But they all seem like it's like a heavy sativa with really sparse bud. God, no, no. Um, the the morphological similarities I was describing was that both times I grew the plant, it was a very short and squat plant. Um, it did stretch, but it was under sort of a great deal of stretch pressure from the plants around it both times. Um, but it, it like I was uh, mainlining them um, and they looked like little basketballs. I mean, after you started, because they were just all really like compact in this little like basketball size ball of leaves at that point it wasn't i wouldn't describe it as being a stretchy strain at all but again there's sort of huge differences in this one yeah it's so wide being a polyhybrid brandon what do you think about the jack and then i want to throw it over to uh matthew because i know you just threw out some flavors in the chat that you like and i, I want to ask you a little more about that but brandon what do you think about the jack yeah so i've done the jack the regular jack and then the j1 which is like the skunk and so there's some real similarities for me, like the Northern Lights, number five, the uh, the old school hazes, how they have that lemon pine. So sometimes you'll get uh, like the more of the skunk front end where you get this like really funky musk, but it's like funky musk, pine, pine, lemon pine. Uh, some you, you, Sometimes you'll get stronger on like the pine saw kind of cleaning side. And then sometimes I get uh, more of that. Like, like I said, that, that musk that's sometimes associated with like skunk weed, I think, but it's kind of more of a, kind of more of, I think that musk, like marocene mixed with the pine and lemon in the, in earthy the, fun. Yeah. It's I like know. the, I think it's probably marocene, uh, pining and, uh, lime, 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 Yeah. Lemonine. It's, uh, definitely those are uh, common ones in, in all three of those varieties that you were just talking about. And um, Matthew, I saw that you described some cannabis as pungent, if it was generally less complex. Um, is there any other words that you That's could describe? That's not quite what like, I said. Sorry, but yeah, just uh, maybe you could fill us in on some of the things that, the smells that you like, and then um, maybe elaborate more on the word pungent and why you use that to describe the smell of cannabis. So what I, I was, well, probably because you saw what I said, but maybe not what I was replying to. Um, I, so as a preference, yeah, preference is even sort of difficult because I pretty much like most of the stuff that I come across. I don't know if that's a factor of who I work with or where I, where I live or any of that kind of stuff or who helps me acquire things, which is great. But um, generally speaking, I like gassy uh, scents. I tend to like uh, I mean, I like fruity and floral and spicy. I like them all, honestly. I like most things. I haven't come across a um, a scent profile that I've been 
sort of uh, vehemently against. But I will say that, like, with the three that I mentioned, that I thought to mention, um, uh, flowery, fruity, and, like, gassy, uh, especially, like, sour, like, sour diesel or lemony and that kind of stuff, I would much rather, and I'm this way with taste, too, I would much rather prefer a pungent scent a strong scent even if it's a little bit less complex um, than a bunch of like way less uh, notable or detectable um, you know mini scents all kind of working in concert together you know and that's just my preference I think that has to do with my physiology or something like this but um, like I will like I came across like locally there was a guy who was growing something that he created he called orange tang and it tasted like orange juice, man. It tasted like orange. It tasted like a navel orange. And I'm a Californian. So, you know, I, I really liked that. And it was very orangey. And I would much rather have something that's very orangey than like barely orangey. And I can't really, you know, tell as much if that makes sense. But yeah, like that orange, it. strawberry, banana, and all this stuff mixed in. And it's funny you say that because I'm kind of the opposite. Yeah. My wife came up to me with these two. Uh, vape cartridges while i was over here recording the show and one was watermelon and the other one was the forbidden fruit and the watermelon is kind of like you're describing more pungent it's just a one note it's super strong watermelon and it tastes great but i like the forbidden fruit because it was like berry um and it had floral and it had uh, a few different things a grape going on so i like looking for all those different little complexities in there I was just going to say that forbidden, it's funny you bring forbidden fruit up. I was just going to say, if I have one terp profile that I hate, it'd be forbidden fruit, followed closely by like tangy or anything orange, but, <laughs> but sours. Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm on one today, dude. I don't think I got enough sleep last night. No, I don't <laughs> no, think so. Hey, I, I love it. Some people just want gas and some people just want uh, earth yeah. and funk. Like, it, it, Yeah. See, let I mean, me... Let me say this about it, though. I just want to say this to, uh, you know, save my street cred. Basically, I think that does open you up to being manipulated by um, additives and other things that people put into yeah. cannabis to make them have a particular, right? Because, and I'm sure, I'm sure this is true for, like, multitudes of flavors, too, that are, like, more complex. But, you know, if you just put, like, one thing or use something that's like, this will make it citrusy and I'm just looking for citrusy, then I think that's a little bit easier to achieve for somebody who is unscrupulous. But citrus is one of the easiest sort of yeah. uh, heads to give cannabis. If you cure it with citrus peels, it will have that aroma of citrus when the, the you know, dupe opens the bag or whatever to smell it. Even with my, um, even with my love of like tea or rice, like jasmine rice or whatever that's like scented that's like you know uh dried with uh, other flowers and things that have a particular scent i want it to come from the rice i don't want it to be i don't want some adulterant so matthew and that asked recommended like either citrus peels to rehydrate their cannabis or even like grapes or whatever i've heard a ton of different stuff thrown in there i've also heard on the other end that it's likely to open you up to mold and as our IPM person, what do you think about like a citrus peel in a plastic baggie of cannabis and the likelihood of that sort of uh, moisture or just something in the citrus transferring into uh, providing mold or, or mildew in the product? Uh, high. I think that's very high. Yeah. Um, I never recommend it. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's like scrubbing down their peels and making sure that they're, you know, microbially inert. 
uh, before they're if they're going to be doing that kind of a thing. I, I actually don't know anyone doing that, but what I'm That's saying crazy. is crazy. I've <laughs> I've tried that. I do. I've tried every thing in the book. So, you know, back in the day before the internet, we were trying everything to to wet weed and like, you know, uh, I'll say this tortilla, like wet like soft tortilla that you get for tacos that works the best because it doesn't really impart a smell. It's really huh. low humidity or moisture content. And, um, and it really only imparts if I ever had a problem with humidity, I would just go cut some big leaves off exactly. of bed. Watch or for stem. hay smell though. Watch for hay stem. smell. That's well, hold, hold on. Hold on. Let's get back to this orange peel thing because I want to clarify something. First of all, if you're doing this to rehydrate, you would only leave the orange peels in there for 12 hours, maybe. Um, almost always it would be less than 24, but I wouldn't recommend using orange peels for the rehydration process. Right. Um, what I'm familiar with people doing is drying the orange peels and adding them to the bags or adding them to the jars um, sort of during storage, but not wet orange peels. The orange peels are already dried out. I've actually done that though, you know, circa 2010, put wet orange peels in dry weed and like, yeah, you know, all right, don't, don't do that. No, well, if you do do that, you can only leave it sealed for like 12 hours max. Um, the, the air, the moisture transfer is really pretty quick and it will get things yeah. problematic. Well, just grow a, a good, but that's true. If you add leaves or if you add sticks or if you add anything else too, I think that, but tortillas dry that, out, tortillas dry out. So when they're dry, they, like they impart their moisture and then they're done. You can even leave them in there. So I've come back to a bag with tortillas in it and I don't do this anymore. Just so everybody knows. <laughs> but, you know, this shit does, that's, that's the way to go. Tortillas or Bovida packs. If you want to pay extra money. No, Tegra over Bovida, but no, neither of them is good. I know it's from Aaron and it's from the East and it's from the West there Coast. You go. And I'll Listen, say this, Bovida and wait, Tegra both lose tips. I put fresh leaves and they dry out. Oh, tortilla packs. This is circa 2013, bro. Come on. Give me a break. Go ahead, Tom. Break given. Well, I was just saying, I put it in a full leaf. You pull it like in a jar that's over dry and yeah. come back and the leaf is dried out totally, basically. And the, the buds absorb that moisture. If you yeah, put in yeah, way too many leaves moisture. or if you leave, yeah, that you, you have to make sure you watch it like Dr. Co uh, Dr. MJ is saying. Sure. I just want to say that there's been uh, studies where SC Labs did testing with Bovida and with Integra, both of those humidity 2A packs. And both of them lost terpenes compared to a regular jar at room temperature, unregulated. Uh, well, I've seen range. a lot of growers try to get their RH up with, with those packs, and they, they just don't sort of get the RH up. Um, they may, and I, I'm really not a fan of them. I, I think that they sort of pay people to recommend their products online, and then everybody else sees that and wants to. I want mine for free. What's that? I won some for free on 420 a few years ago, and I admit I used them. I love the Bovida. The Bovida had some small uh, salt smell when I worked at the organic delivery service. I would I always tell the story. I, I was the guy who would smell the strain when we got it, write the description, and then we'd go put it in our jars, and the jars had the Bovida packs. And like 25% of them, not 100%, but like a quarter of them started to smell like the pack, which is like sort of like a salty, weird scent. And I smelled it on the jar. I smelled it on the product. And as soon as we stopped using them, we stopped having that issue. And it smelled just like when I got it from the grower or whoever delivered it to us. So I noticed that and I've sent, uh, seen a study from SE Labs through Curador where they tested, like I said, room temperature, 
uh, just regular jar with no pack versus both of those packs. And both packs actually lost terpenes faster over like three months, six months, uh, and a year. So, they were invented for cigars anyway. This is just a, it's like a subsidiary of, they're just trying to tap into the cannabis market. Watch your yeah. pockets. At yeah, least the Integra no was like vegetable based, uh, you know, and it, it was not a semi-porous package. The package were sealed and they used, uh, you know, a food grade ink. So you're not like getting anything in there. Not that Bovita didn't use anything like that, but the salt is what bothered me about Bovita. But what I'll say is Raw, the company who makes the hemp rolling papers, they make a terracotta hydro stone. It's called the Raw Hydro Stone. They're like two or three bucks on Amazon. Super cheap. You soak it in a bowl of water. It absorbs the water like a terracotta pot a little bit. And you drop that into your jar and that will rehydrate the buds. And you can take it out within however long it needs. And it's a slow release. It's one of the yeah. things that they use for tobacco. I, I agree with sort of what some of the other people have said that we're kind of trying to reinvent the wheel. A lot of the parts of the cannabis plant that we're dealing with at the time that this is a problem uh, still have adequate moisture that they can release and share with the buds. I usually just cut like four inch sections of the larger stems um, and I put them in the jars with them and it's usually only 24 hours and at that point the, the relative humidity is stable in the right zone. And once it's stable, it'll stay there. I mean, you don't need a Boveda pack or anything in your jar with you just to keep the humidity what it should be. If the jar is sealed, the jar should be sealed. I agree um, with that, but what about the VOCs? That What's that? Like a VOCs, like volatile organic compounds. When you cut a stem or cut a leaf and you drop that into your thing, somebody was saying hay smell earlier. If you add something like that to a jar, isn't that a potential to off-gas chlorophyll um, to For give sure, off a, a more negative smell than a terracotta stonewood? Yeah, if you put wet weed in your dry weed bag, you will get a hay smell, guaranteed. So, I mean, it might not always be the case. It sounds like Dr. MJ has had some good results with the stem. If you use the right yeah. amount. Or well, if maybe I don't know that we're even talking about the same thing here. But, yeah, uh, it's like right when you jar up, you, you get them, um, you know, if you have to add some material that's a little bit moister because the you let the buds dry too long, Um then I just stick that in the jars with them for the first 12 hours or so until the, the humidity's up. It's almost always less than 24 hours that, that it's sharing space with anything like that. There's no hay smells or molds or any off-gassing issues that you really need to be worried about during such a short period of time at the beginning of the cure. I think you're dry, well, sort of between the dry and the cure. The redistribution moisture as opposed to like oh i'm trying to rehydrate everything yeah exactly exactly because that's essentially what is happening with leaf tech right you're taking that the moisture that is in that leaf and it's redistributing it you know to, throughout the rest of the, the product that's in there yeah. as long as it's not already too wet you shouldn't have a problem but i've you know sometimes if you're spending days and days and days trimming up that last little bit might at the end you might need you know might need a little bit of a love. Yeah, and this is a period of time where you're really hawking your your jars. I mean, you got to keep your eye on them. And, you know, if, if you're going too low with your RH and you're putting stuff in the jar to raise RH, you got to stay on top of that. I mean, you can't just like then go on vacation for a week and come back and find moldy butt or whatever. I mean, uh, you, you are sort of actively driving the car at that point. A lot of people forget that. Too, New growers. Sorry. Only uh, just quickly, only pour the amount of weed that you're going to trim in like two hours into your trim bin. I have guys that'll pour like a day's worth of weed into their trim bin. And I'm like, dude, pour 80% of that out and 
because you know this is part of the curing process when you're when you're pouring stuff out of a bag into a trim bin or into a tray to trim it you know this is a step in the curing process and a lot of people don't understand that they just a, they're just a processor you're so dry trimming then i'm guessing Aaron. oh are yeah you? oh yeah. yeah dry trimming only yeah uh, yes, are you yes. stucking everything I, up? I wet trim only. <laughs> Future show. I know. I know you do, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> hey, um, do do you uh, shuck everything up into bins, uh, like pre pre trim, just so everything's off the stick already, and your trimmer can just like? Oh yeah, dude! Everything goes through my barrel trimmer before my trimmers get their hands on it, and I pay like a buck eighty a pound more than most uh, growers. But uh, that said. You know, it's a different, it's a different time, man. When I first started growing, I hired trimmers, a hundred dollars a pound. They had the bucket. They had to, you know, it wasn't through the trim machine. Like it's, it's gotten easier for these guys. And and so. Another show I just heard was 80 up. a pound. So good on you for paying your trimmers. Damn. There was a service <laughs> that offered their service for 80 a pound. They would come in. To but I'm the worst road. boss, dude. I'm the worst boss. I'm like, oh, you got to pour that back out and trim it again. Like, oh, put some tortillas in there. No, I'm just kidding. I uh, going great. And for How many indoor, tortillas you got through? 200 a pound for a really long time. And then when the prices in California dropped, it went down to like 150. And then it kind of stabilized. It's usually between uh, 150 and 200, I think. Yeah. There's when services in dropped, like I... Michigan has one called the lovely ladies who trim. They just show up at your crop and bust it out. And they have like a set rate per pound and they have a whole team. They could bust out a commercial crew or a home grow. Uh, depending on how much you're estimating and uh, it's really interesting i think that as more legal markets open up that won't want to hire staff they're all background checked and like uh good people and, and they're qualified to what they do and uh it, it's interesting to see that i think there will be more operations like that of qualified and, and skilled people going on out here in oklahoma do they do a good job hey you can get a crew to come harvest all your weed you can come get people to trim it you can do like you know what i mean they have like that's one of the things that i'm going to be doing i'm going to be putting together a consulting company as well with a staffing agency so i can have like people someone wants to come have everything harvested i can just have they can have a team of temp labor come do all the labor for the harvesting and all they have to do is do the you know do the rest of the stuff you know because it can get really arduous and you don't need a full team you just need people for certain times because a lot of these a lot of these systems especially if you're already automated you don't need any you only need one person maybe two people to keep an eye on things make sure and then like do like pruning and stuff like that it's only it's only when there's like harvesting processing trimming that has to be done like you know if you go to harvest oh shit now you need like your whole team right or a couple extra people but only for what a couple of days until everything's dried and then when it, everything's dried, then you need another another team of people that, to, to, you know, and it's like trying to keep all those people on staff uh, for a, like a small company, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It, it makes more sense to just outsource those tasks when they're needed. Absolutely. The logistics dude. of it all get kind of crazy and, and kind of like hosting a podcast with a bunch of different growers all at one time. And with that being said, I want to make sure we can get through all of our... Uh, shout outs and goodbyes because it's 551 here on the west coast and we've got only nine minutes left uh in the show and i guess before we go into that does anybody have a, a final thought or, or question or something that they really wanted to get in that they were holding and they haven't been able to get in so far on the show no but i was going to say on the last thing if you 
if they could just buy like a walk-in sub-zero freezer, you could just harvest the plants, take the uh, big leaves off, put it in that freezer, and then get to it when you want to get to it because it would be solid frozen. Are uh, big big companies doing that somewhere? You got to freeze it a certain way so that you don't mess up the plant tissue. There's like a thing called the CryoCure, a company that's doing that. But I think more so people would use something like a CoolBot, which converts an air conditioning unit and you make like a small walk-in closet type area, a modified uh, freezer or fridge yeah, unit. But I'm talking like for an acre's worth of weed, a plant. You, you can do it at any dryers. level with the AC. There's, there's people freeze drying weed for hash makers and stuff. Like if, you know, if you got a harvest, you need to get turned into hash in a day or two. A lot of guys, a lot of guys out here aren't even putting flour on the market anymore. They're just having it turned into rosin because the return is actually greater because there's a better market for rosin than there is. Yeah, uh, the prices are and you don't have to grow your fucking plants too. Yeah. And you don't have to pay for trimming either. Yep. All right. Yep. It is definitely part of the market. A lot of people have been doing that for a little while. So uh, it's an interesting topic. Maybe for next week we can get into uh, the post-processing, rosin, hash, all the concentrate markets and things like that. But with that being said, I think this is a good time to put a bow on this one, wrap it up. I'm going to pass it on over to Dr. MJ first to give his final sign out. Hey, thanks. It was a fun little episode here. I'm glad I was able to make it back. Don't forget, uh, come on over and sign up for the uh, Plant Training Grow Challenge. And with it comes the Party Cup Challenge. Um, we're about to start announcing some prizes. A prize for the September 1st giveaway. We're giving away a total a complete Mars Grow Kit with a tent, a TS-1000, exhaust fan, everything. All you got to do is be in the Grow Challenge to potentially win that stuff. So um, sign up, cocoforcannabis.com forward slash challenge. And if you're uh, on YouTube now, go on head on over to my YouTube channel and check out my latest uh, Grow Light Physics video. I uh, put a lot of work into that and just launched that on Thursday. It's doing pretty well so far. So I'd love to hear all the, the comments from the audience of uh, our Growing With My Fellow Growers show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, panelists, chat, Shane in absentia, and Jack for stepping in. Thank you for coming, Doc. It's uh, always great to have you. And I know a lot of people have already been DMing me about that video. So it's gotten some uh, traction so far. And I know that I think the Michigan Bros Grow Show may not be airing tonight. I think that they've got the 2020 uh, Great Lakes Grow Off turn-in and judging is tonight, which we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show. So I don't think uh, – that's why Spartan Grown is not here. He is a contestant in that. Um, so so I think perfect they, time to go head over and watch some grow light physics, everybody. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and uh, with that said, we'll pass it over to our next uh, panelist, Matthew Gates. Yeah, good conversation, guys. I thought we talked about a lot of cool things. I think I almost always say pretty much the exact same thing at the end of these things, but uh, I did appreciate it. Great to see Aaron. I do miss Can Can. I do miss Spartan, but uh, hopefully I'll see both of those people in the near future. If you want to learn more about uh, integrated pest management, I highly encourage you to take a look at my YouTube channel, the one that was commenting in in the chat, Xenthanol as well as Instagram account at SyncAngel, S-Y-N-C-H-A-N-G-E-L. I'm also on Twitter, both Xenthanol, my consulting group, and uh, my Instagram, or my uh, Twitter account. It's more personal, at SyncAngel. 
Well, thank you again for joining us. I always appreciate your input, whether you uh, have the same exact thing to say at the sign-off or not. I always appreciate your content during the show as well. So thank you, Matthew, for giving us some of your time and uh, sharing that knowledge with us. And next, Aaron the Grower, how are you doing over there? Give your uh, final words. Man, <clears throat> thanks as always for having me. Uh, I always have fun and hope you guys have fun with me here and that I bring something positive to the to the panel i know the rest of these guys are absolute uh prodigies in their fields so i respect all of you um individually and i look forward to uh doing this again thank you thanks for coming and uh i don't think it's a grand competition i think everybody's got their place within the grand scheme of growing and we all have uh, something valuable to share no matter how big or small or how much experience or lack of experience that someone has if interested i'm always uh open to hearing their feedback and thoughts questions comments and all that type of stuff so thank you again for joining us aaron next we have brandon rust yeah it's always great to do the podcast uh just want to thank all of the listeners uh that tune in live and the all the people that uh download and listen later um again if uh you want to follow you can follow me along uh, on instagram at Rust Brandon, and also follow Bokashi Earthworks. I don't think that page is going to get taken down because I don't post any cannabis on it, just education stuff. Um, yeah, it's always great to be here. I'm always glad to interact with all the other family members. So talk to you guys all soon. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, good luck to all of your future projects that are coming here in the future. So, uh, and uh, like I said, everybody check out his new pages because he just recently had one of his pages taken down. And uh, the Bokashi Earthworks page is great as well for all the uh, good educational content. Next up, we have the American one. Jack, thanks for hosting. Shout out to Sheen and a great talk panel. Uh, shout out to Chad as always. I was a little uh, late to the mute button, but um, I always like listening in and what everybody has to say. Always great talking about the plant. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Peace out. Thanks for joining us, whether or not you can uh, find that mute button. Sometimes I feel like I just reach out to you and uh, catch you a little off guard there, which is fine. We can all wait a few seconds and I'll politely remind you to uh, find that mute button. If uh, you probably are talking and expecting us to be hearing you, it's never uh, fun. So it's always easier to uh, unmute and let everybody hear what you have to say. So thanks again for joining us, uh, the American one. Lastly, uh, before myself, we have uh, Kyle Breeder. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for hosting. I uh, appreciate everyone that's here. Um, you know, I know we don't probably hear it every day, but I'm sure we've helped out a lot of people. And uh, yeah, um, if anyone wants to look at some of the stuff I'm working on, uh, please feel free to check out any of my social media, Predicated Breeding on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, if you're looking for good feminized seeds, check out the letter P, breeding.com. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to next week, and I hope everybody has a, a safe week. I'll see you guys Sunday. Thanks again for joining us, Kyle. Always appreciate your input. It's uh, nice sometimes when we do have a smaller panel. It's uh, guys that are a little quieter like yourself. I'm more easily able to rope you into the conversation and uh, allow you to contribute and share some of your knowledge. So I was glad that was able to happen tonight. And thank you again for joining us and definitely make sure to check them out at peabreeding.com. I'm the last person up. I just wanted to say a uh, shout out to Max Scrim and Ruby. I did a little podcast with him, his first. It's called Talking Buds. I'm not sure when it's going to be out just yet. But uh, he's a follower of mine and as well as Kyle's on Instagram. And I know he's a listener of the show, so shout out to him. I always support people uh, that want to get into the cannabis community. 
podcasting community. I think that it's great to have more and more people and uh, sharing as many opinions and points of view as possible. So if you want to hear more about my opinions and points of view and things like that, or just actually, I don't really post any of that. If you want to see my plants, you can find me at Jack Greenstock on Instagram. If you want to hear some of my thoughts on growing, I have my own podcast, Greenstock Talks. I'm more often found here uh, every Sunday. And thank you again to Shane of The Cheap Home Grow, who gives us this place to come and talk about cannabis each week and uh, share a panel with such awesome growers and people with uh, tons of great knowledge. And with that said, it's about six o'clock and uh, my lovely wife, Lady Greenstock, has been cooking up some chicken and it smells quite delicious. So I'm not going to hang around for too much longer. And uh, thank you everyone for joining us in the chat. It's been a great week. Uh, growers love to everybody and peace out. Grower love everyone.